Hello, this is your host, Sunita Bagri. I am the founder of the Every Teacher Matters Project. Welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Each podcast has a core focus around the well-being of our teachers, school leaders and educational staff. The Teach Well Alliance works proudly in partnership with the Every Teacher Matters Network to raise awareness of well-being and mental health for our teachers and school staff. We're so pleased that you're able to join us on today's podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Today, I'm delighted to introduce Paul Ainsworth, a school improvement advisor and system leader and a colleague to me a few years back. It's going to be a wonderful podcast in which we speak candidly about school improvement and you will be surprised at how accessible Paul makes school improvement work through his, um, you know, through his natural supportive way in which he works with head teachers and within schools and within large multi-academy trust organisations. But in fact, also just on a, on a, you know, a really strategic level. And we're going to discuss his book today, which is called No Silver Bullets. But one of my personal issues with school improvement is that many, many, many schools approach it in a mechanical manner and it is done for the purpose of high stakes accountability only, namely Ofsted. I would like to think that in my role as a head teacher, which spanned across three different school settings, I approached it with a central focus in which we respected and we expected the best outcomes for our pupils, our school community, and that includes the staff. But to find a school improvement partner who mirrored my beliefs and values has not always been easy. But I have to say with Paul, it really was just that. I'm going to be referring to his book at points today, but it is just so clear that he speaks with passion and enthusiasm and makes it really simple. So I'll just start by disclosing a a small paragraph from his book. And what he says is that whether you've been in your school for 10 days or 10 years, it can be difficult to decide where to start in improving the school. There are just so many actions that a leader can take. And this book contains a whole variety of them for you to consider. And it doesn't matter whether, you know, whatever level standard that you're working, whatever your role in school Actually, Paul makes that really, really simple. And this is a fantastic book. And I've, I've really enjoyed reading it, Paul, personally. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Sunita. I feel as though I've got a lot to live up to with that wonderful introduction. But it is really great to have the opportunity to talk to you again. Um, I think I think the last time we saw each other was literally about two weeks before lockdown. We went and had coffee together in Leicester, didn't we? Yes, we it did. A long time since we had that coffee, but it's really nice to talk to you again. I know, Paul. Yes, I know that those that those days. You mean when we could sit and actually have a coffee? Yeah, it's a distant memory now, isn't it? But yeah, it was wonderful, and I'm looking forward to when we can do that again. But until then, here we are. So. What I'd really like to do, Paul, is speak to you about, you know, just your vast experience. And, you know, I said this just in my introduction, but why I'm still in contact with you after, what, five years now is the fact that you made 
you know, people dread, I've got a lot of head teacher colleagues and people don't always, they don't always welcome their visits from their school improvement partner. But I never felt like that with you. And at the time we were working in a really large multi-academy trust. There were a lot of head teachers. There were lots of colleagues and everyone felt the same about you. Everyone. There was just not one person that didn't agree with how supportive and how accessible you made school improvement work. So um, just just tell us, just tell the listeners, you know, where did your passion, I guess, for school improvement work start? So, um, you know, I was a head teacher and I'm not going to get away with the fact that it was really hard. You know, it was really hard being a head teacher. And, I, and I'm kind of constantly aware of that and constantly aware of, you know, how amazing and awesome people like you are that do the role of being a head teacher and how challenging it is. So when I went to work from a large multi-academy trust, for me, the opportunity of supporting head teachers was the perfect job. And that was all I wanted to do. I wanted to try and make your lives easier. So, I, you know, I used to talk, didn't I, when I was doing my head teacher meetings of I still remember waking up at 2.22 every night worrying about the day ahead. And what I wanted to do as a kind of, you know, system leader was to try and take some of those worries away. And I wanted to give, you know, people a safe space. You know, you can tell me whatever problem it is. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to criticise you. But what we're going to do is at the end of that hour, that three hours, that whole day, I just want to help you find a way forwards. And, and that's all I've tried to do. I'm, I've never said that I've got the answers, um, you know, and I, and I never try and say you must do this. But instead, it's all about let's talk. Yeah. I might have some similarities. I might I might have seen a situation similar and I can say oh well that head teacher did that and it worked really well or that head teacher tried that and it didn't work and I wonder if and, and that's what it's always about and, and I just love spending time with head teachers so kind of whether it was you know you you know five or six years ago or whether it's you know my head teachers at Infinity Academies Trust at the moment or blessed blessed Peter Snow I just love spending time with head teachers and trying to help them because I think they've got the most difficult job in a school mm. and I don't think they get enough help and support. Yeah. And, you know, so that all I'm doing and trying to do is play that little small part in kind of, you know, I don't want people to make the mistakes. Maybe I made, I don't want to see people make the mistakes I saw other people make. Mm. It's a tough job. Mm. What can I do to make it a little bit easier for you? Yeah. Do you know, Paul, that's really, um, how you describe it is really, really came across in your um, authentic way. And I think it was after working with you, I had considered coaching for, for a while, you know, as a, as a head, you, and I've been in personal development for in, in that world, in that arena for a long time. So coaching has, um, has been a concept that I've been, you know, introduced to numerous occasions, but I wasn't really sure whether it was right for me. And when I started to work with you, it's, it's interesting how your, um, you know, you describe your support, because that's exactly what I experienced thereafter, but I didn't know it until I worked with you, was that you gave that space for reflection and thinking. So, you know, when you described just there that you just, you really, your sole focus was that it doesn't matter how long it takes you, it doesn't matter what, what the issue is, you're going to find a way forward. Now, that's a coach's way forward, isn't it? That's what the space for coaching does. And it was after working with you that I felt 
it was just so very supportive and I understood the value of it which is why I consequently I mean I have not had a time since that time of working with you where I haven't had coaching myself so that's a really powerful model and I know you talk about um, coaching in your book as well I know you refer to to that and I'm going to you know come back to that point but just before we start get stuck into the book Paul can I talk to you a bit more about you know um, what do you do now? What's, what was your background in teaching? I know you mentioned already that you were ahead, but tell the listeners about what you know, about who you are, where you're from, and what was your journey into education? So um, kind of, I suppose that like a lot of people in the mid 90s, there weren't a massive number of jobs around. And I suppose I, d- I fell into teaching to a certain extent. Um, I always loved talking to people and I loved working with young people. But I, I, for some reason, I hadn't really considered being a teacher. And, and then I kind of fell into it and, and I really enjoyed it and worked in, in lots of different schools. You know, I've kind of done a bit of a full gamut of working in a, a secondary modern with GCSE results of 12 percent. You know, and that was 12 percent, 5A star to C, not 5A star to C, including English and maths. That was 5A star to C back in the day. So I kind of had that experience. And, and then I've had the opportunity of working in independent schools. I've worked in comprehensive schools and, and kind of. I wanted to be a leader. I wanted to kind of have an influence beyond my classroom, I suppose. I loved being a teacher. I loved being with children, but actually being able to do a whole school assembly, to me, that was such a privilege. Yes. So I, I worked my way through and, you know, kind of did, you know, did the, the head, head teacher thing. And then I had that situation of I wanted to do something different. Um, and the multi-academy trust role arose i applied for a headship in the multi-academy trust um and they said oh no we're going to appoint an internal candidate but then turned around and said but would you like to help our head teachers and i thought wow that's an amazing opportunity yeah. and you know i worked in in schools that were really you know in real difficulty sometimes they'd been um in challenge for for generations to be honest you know they'd never been above requires improvement you know the high point for them was you know a, a satisfactory um and I, and I worked in those kind of schools with with the multi-academy trust and and not everything was done in the right way and I, you know I'm not going to pretend it was but all I wanted to do was help those head teachers improve their schools I wanted their children to get a better deal than they've ever had before and that opportunity of of working across different schools and providing that supportive space or supervision or coaching or whatever you want to call it. I just really love doing that. Um, and I found my own model. I, I found a model that that I felt worked around school improvement, um, you know, very much based on trying to analyse what the issues were, trying to come up with, you know, not a not a highfalutin school development plan, but just some small, simple actions that you could, what can we do next week? What can we do next week that's going to make a difference? And once we've done that, what can we do the week after? Because I sometimes think we have a habit of really overcomplicating things. So let's really strip it back. Yes, we've got the whole school development plan that lasts a whole year, but what do we want to do this week, this month? And and then let's use measurements, you know, and let's not get away from thing we are judged on on results so how can we use the results in a really sensitive way not to judge not to criticize but actually to work out where our children are at and therefore what do we need to work on next time and if we keep running that cycle over a period of time 
then we'll, we'll get school improvement. And I worked with, you know, with some really difficult schools and, and they improved. And then I went to work to another multi-academy trust and I took that model and worked on it with another group of head teachers and it worked again. And that was a real eye opener for me that actually, if it works in one scenario and then I can get it to work somewhere else where I didn't have that that relationship with the head teachers in the same way. At our multi-academy trust, I'd grown up with people and they got to know me and trusted me. Whereas I went to a new multi-academy trust and they were they were quite, they were worried, you know, they were kind mm. of anxious about who's this person going to come into our school and tell us what to do. So mm. oh, I don't want to do that. That's, yeah, not, yeah. that's not how you are. Well, that's not how you are even as an individual. And, and, and it, but it worked, that kind of, the model that I've described worked and the data went up just really significantly in 2019 um, across the multi-academy trust in, in the primary schools, ARE went from 63% to 70%. Yeah. And some schools went up a lot. Yeah, yeah. Progress, progress in reading, writing and maths um, went up by roughly 0.75 across the trust. Um, I thought, well, you know, maybe we're on to something here. Maybe that, that that's worked. And, and then I, I kind of had a conversation with a CEO of multi-academy trust who was really honest he wanted to lead a trust in a different way he wanted to be all around people and being in it for the long term and, and not this short term you know boom bust boom bust but actually can we be here for 10 years Paul can we make a difference for that time and that's Gavin Boover Infinity in in kind of Boston wow. um, so I live in I live in Lincoln um, and the opportunity to work with Gavin and his team was just amazing Sounds I think, it. I think I found my home. Oh, there is kind of a you know really, really great group of head teachers. We've um, we've we've just took on another two schools, so we've got seven schools at the moment. Five super super head teachers, um, and I just love going there every day. Brilliant. It's just you know, it's just what it should be like. And and you know they were a little bit wary of me at first of who's who's Gavin brought in, who's this person, you know, and and. But over time, you know, just in a few short meetings, head teachers, you know, they realised, oh, we've got somebody who's here to help us and support us. And, and yes, sometimes he does ask us really tricky questions. And, but hopefully I asked a tricky question with a smile. And if we don't know the answer, that's fine. Yeah. We don't always know the answer, that's do we? Right. That's right. We don't. We don't. So while we're talking, I mean, it sounds really wonderful, really does sound, I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that you found your home and it sounds, I mean, Gavin sounds uh, incredible and I'm sure many leaders could uh, learn a lot from that approach. But whilst we're talking um, about this, because you're really touching on what the core principles of the Every Teacher Matters network, you know, what our purpose is, and that's really around, actually, it's just about well-being and it's about treating all educational staff with the respect that they deserve because a couple of things that you've said already about you know head teacher's job being really difficult it goes all the way through doesn't it in the school system teachers jobs are so difficult head teachers are so difficult and it's a job that you know really we should be singing the praises of our teachers all the time and and we don't come across many organizations that that do that although we've we've got you know, a significant amount that we should be sharing um, loudly and proudly. But can you talk to us about, you know, what do you think in your experience, and I know you've worked in lots of schools, so 
the schools that are performing well, but actually where the staff culture is rooted in trust and respect, what do you think those head teachers, those leaders, those CEOs are doing? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? It's a relationship between the CEO and the head teacher and the head teacher and, and the staff. There's a there's a really famous quotation from Winston Churchill in this, I think, during the Second World War, when he said, head teachers have powers that I can only dream of. You know, so the leader of our country during the World War said head teachers have powers that I can only dream of. And that is, you know, and if I don't go to Spider-Man, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So I kind of move between those two people. That's really tough for head teachers, isn't it? You've got, you have got so much power over those teachers' lives and those people's lives, and you've got so much, so much responsibility. And you've got this huge pressure coming down on you around children outcomes and how does children outcomes affect your the number of children that come into your school and your budget and your Ofsted grading and all of those kind of things and I think that takes really special people as head teachers to not just parcel that pressure onto people and I think the really great head teachers who run those lovely schools and we know what they're like you know when I go into you know St Nick's in Boston there is a beautiful feeling in that school. And when I go into any of my schools, you feel that support, you feel that relationship. I, you know, people smile at me when I come into the school. And I think that's because the head teachers, you know, in the, in the school that, schools that I work with, they've took some of that pressure away from their staff. They've acted as a, as a barrier in some way. Um, that's not to say they don't challenge you know, and they don't expect high standards. Mm. Um, you know, Brené Brown said something like, um, unclear is unkind, clear is kind. Yeah. So we have to be clear about what we expect from, from our colleagues, but also we have to be reasonable. Mm. You know, I want my colleagues to have a life outside of school. Mm. It really worries me and upsets me when head teachers might send me an email at 11 o'clock at night or even worse when the you know I've had emails at three in the morning it's like yeah. oh no that that really worries me yeah. and, and I don't want teachers working till eight nine ten o'clock in the evening so we we have to try and make it manageable for our colleagues mm. so that's what the really great head teachers are wrestling with isn't it they've got yeah. all this pressure all this accountability they want to work kindly with their staff. They want to try and make it manageable. And I think that's where people like me hopefully can help. You know, actually show people the shortcuts, the things that can do to save time, to, to share the good practice across the different schools, but also to try and take some of that pressure away from head teachers. Mm. I think sometimes it's the it's the fear isn't it am i doing a good job is this working what will somebody from the outside say so if i can go into a school and i can say do you know what that's looking really good yeah i can yeah. see i can yeah. see the improvement from two weeks ago yeah yeah and, and when i say that i see kind of i see head teachers lift yes you know, and i yeah. see them literally grow before my eyes and mm. their shoulders rise and their smile and the the, the you know the, the wrinkles go away from the eyes and those kind of things so it's that isn't it if we can kind of say you know you're doing a good job and then the head teachers then pass that on to their staff as well and they walk around their school and say you know 
Sarah in year one that on oh, that's really great I loved what you were doing in that phonics lesson or you know kind of you know Chris in year in year four oh, I really like the way you were doing that reading that and, and the way that child was responding and that can trying to get that positivity mm. going mm. through mm. but that's not to say we don't have tough conversations at times mm. you know to kind of if we feel a member of staff isn't living up to where we want them to be it's unkind to just let that just go on go on go on sometimes we just have to quick say come on you know I know you're great yeah. I, you know I know you're great remember when you did that right that's what I want to see you do again and so there is it's that kind of encouragement and that positivity but it's getting away from any kind of blame culture yeah you know yeah. We, there's, you know and, and I can always remember um and I don't know, I might come on to this in more detail later, depending on what you ask me. But I can always remember a teacher, and I think it was an RQT, who was a key stage one teacher, and the year six teacher left. And there was a who will teach year six? And bless her, this RQT put her hand up and said, I'll do it. Mm. Didn't have the experience, but nobody else was prepared to put their hand up. Wow. And the results weren't great. But you don't blame that colleague. No. You say, you've you've come forward you've helped so okay what can we do to help you now yeah, yes yes yeah brilliant great example great example Paul and I think as you were speaking what was really clear was this um you know this this what I've heard another head teacher you know call it is is actually creating this nutrient rich soil in which everybody learns together. And I love that phrase because it's just, that's how it is. You know, it, it's an even playing field. And it's those head teachers that don't use their, their positions of responsibility for, you know, power, but instead for opportunities for everyone to learn together. And I thank, I thank you for that example, because that's a lovely example. And I really liked your contrast between the Spider-Man quote and Winston Churchill. That was, that was genius. <laughs> Paul, let's talk about coaching if that's all right because um you know I'm I'm passionate about coaching as it's something that I do within the education field now in my current work I'm just going to take um a, a couple of phrases from your book so in um I mean I, I want you to talk more about your book actually after I I talk to you about this because even the way that you've laid it out is so clear you can just dip in and out any particular section that a head teacher might be you know thinking around so I dipped into action 16, ensure there is a system of coaching to improve teaching. Many educationists believe that the best method of improving teaching is either one-to-one -one coaching or coaching triads. Colleagues work with each other to observe practice and then advise on actions to make improvement. There are lots of different systems of coaching. Some schools will train certain teachers or leaders to be coaches. They will then be given a coaching workload of colleagues that they are working with to improve their practice. So can you talk to us, the, tell the listeners, because I'm always, you know, I, I'm promoting coaching, not because I want a client. And I want to be really clear about this. If a client comes just through, through their own um, actions, fabulous. But that's not why I wave the flag for coaching or well-being. I wave it because it has made such a big difference to my 
personal and professional performance as an individual you know it's it's helped me to weigh up things helped me to assess and evaluate it's helped me to find the solutions as you described so I was you know I know that I would see it in your book because I know how you are and I know how you work and you know coaching has so much evidence around to support the the you know outcomes so tell us about your experience of coaching and you know why does it gain a place in your book so, so I think that I think you offer something very special, Sunita, because in 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 kind of standalone schools, head teachers don't often have that coaching support from another educationalist. I think in the best maths, that is a key feature of the best maths that head teachers get coaching from somebody like me. It's been there, done the job, got the scars on their back, can help them with it. And I think what you're trying to do for head teachers is really important and I know that you also provide that coaching support for senior leaders as well to give the head teacher a bit more space that you can do that development work so I think there's there's almost two aspects to coaching isn't there because there's that coaching for leadership which mm. we both do in our roles mm. but there's also the kind of the peer coaching of teachers isn't it now yeah. I first became aware I don't know it must be 16 17 years ago when I was yeah. in a a community college in Rutland and we tried to develop the idea of of peer coaching and we had a small group of people led by the you know was then the vice principal and responsible for teaching and learning and we worked together you know we, we got into pairs and it was great and I kind of paired up with, with another colleague and we went into each other's classrooms and just you know went in for kind of 15 minutes and just you know popped in and you know oh, I really liked that that was great or do you know what that's made me think so I can always remember the colleague saying oh I love the way that you manage your class non-verbally all the little hand signals that you all give the praise that you use you know using your body language but also the way that you manage behavior by you know just guess gestures I hadn't thought of doing that that made me feel so good about myself that an experienced teacher would then say that and and similarly when when I went into into their lessons the way they were structuring things the, the way they were asking questions of children all oh, right I need to develop that question in in my own in my own classroom so that was really great that was an idea of a school putting colleagues together you know as pairs and it, it wasn't highly formalized it wasn't highly structured there was just the expectation that you know kind of every couple of weeks We'd spend time in each other's classrooms, yeah. you know, in a non-contact. And, and that was some of the best CPD I had, because yeah. to me, it was seeing another practitioner do that. Now, one of the things that I've learned over time is some people can naturally absorb from seeing another practitioner. But what sometimes people don't know what they should be looking for. And, and they kind of see the big things the teacher's doing and think, oh, I need to do that. And often they're missing all the little things. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I really like and in kind of in, in primary schools, and this is something that I often advise, is if, you've, if you're trying to work on improving practice for a teacher, take them on a learning walk. Don't send them on a learning walk on their own but either you take them or another colleague take them and have the conversation about what you're seeing in the classroom and then always finish it with, okay, so what's the one thing that we can work on from this walk? 
you know and then there's that that that's that coaching so the person the person who's trying to improve their practice is seeing things the person who's walking around with them is having the conversation that well, what have you seen now what's working really well what can work in your own classroom what do you want to try i think that's a kind of really valued method i think in, in bigger schools and i think this works probably is better works better in secondary schools is the kind of the tr the coaching triad you put your colleagues into freeze you know you, you you observe each other over time what's the one thing that you can improve on i don't find that model works as well in a primary school because we might only have seven teachers yeah depends on the size depends on the size doesn't it paul you know or you know even kind of in a four form entry you know four form entry school you've not got a massive number of teachers and it's hard to take teachers out of the classroom at the right time in a secondary school with non-contact there's a bit more flexibility of how that works so that's why i've tended to find that kind of that coaching as a pair with a leader works really well or it could be with an sle or it could be with your maths lead or you know however you've structured it but i think that that conversation around what can we see and, and the big thing that i've really tried you know work on with all my colleagues is what's the one thing you can do you might see 20 things but what's the one thing that you can do that will make a difference and how are you going to do that yeah. you know, you've said that idea oh i'm going to improve my questioning right yeah. but how how yeah it's giving so, people the opportunity to talk yeah i um i came across the coaching model coming up to 10, 11 years myself now. And um, I was working in an outstanding school and um, we became a teaching school. And I recall that, um, that process of coaching triads working in groups of three. It was a large, fortunately for me, it was a, a large primary school. We were able to do that. But as we supported other schools that came from far and wide, we, when I trained, to become a facilitator within the alliance we actually were trained by an organization called alevi and they when we were trained they described it to us as this way that doctors and medics are trained that they go on a ward round in the morning with the the consultant doctor and that's really the model then we then followed to all of our visitors you know they would come and we would all meet in one room we'd talk about you know what they might expect to find in the different classrooms like a doctor would describe you know conditions and to, to, to their team and then we would go around and we would you know we would observe and then following on from that the teams would split into triads and they would they would you know they would coach and observe and witness and, and deepen their learning in that way and it is really really powerful you know it's the best you you said it yourself it's the best cpd that you had when you were in, involved in that process and and i found that with so many colleagues it was the best cpd they, they'd had so it is really powerful and I, and I know i'm really passionate about it and i could talk about it all day but i want to move on now to just talk to us about your book because um you know I've, I've dipped in and out of a couple of sections today but what's your kind of, you know, what, what, what was your rationale behind this? What was your, I, mean, I know it's a, a labour of love, any writing is, but um, tell us about it because um, the, the blurb at the back says, there are no secrets to school improvement. There are no silver bullets and no magic answers. It is far less glamorous. It is a question of identifying numerous actions and applying effort day in, day out to improve them. So, Part of the idea, so if I go back, when I, the multi-academy trust that we both worked for, when I left there, 
one of the head teachers said to me, how am I going to cope without your visits? I can believe that. Kind of, um, where, where are the ideas going to come from? Can you, and, and jokingly, they said, can you not just write them all down in a book ah. so that I can refer to that? So that's kind of, so that was one thing. And then um, I listened to, so I didn't read, I listened to Legacy, which is um, a book about the All Blacks, the New Zealand rugby team, about how they developed their culture. See, lots of kind of school leaders have been reading it and some multi-academy trusts have even had it as their, their reading work. And one of the ideas in there is that you have your own playbook of this is this is how we do things. So they did it. This is how this these were their rules of the All Blacks. This was their culture. This was how they set things up and they put it in a book. And when everybody came into the All Blacks team, they got a copy of this of the book. So I kind of merged those two ideas. Great. Um, I'm really conscious of, you know, the, and I can talk about no silver bullets for ages, the, the kind of phrase, but I think too often in education, we're looking for this magic answer and we see something that's worked in another school. We scrap everything we've got in our school and we lift that idea, shift it to our own institution and think it's going to, you know, it's going to be the panacea and everything's going to be perfect. And I think we both know from our leadership experience that if only life was so simple yeah. and it's not. And, and sometimes and, and, and what we have, what we're brilliant at doing at teachers is taking bad ideas and making them work. So how often do I see an initiative go into a school and they have forced it to work? And those teachers have spent ages just desperately making it work. So. I, you know, I don't think, I don't think there's a magic answer. I don't think we've got any point to your school and your results go amazing. I don't think we've got a new behaviour management structure in and suddenly everything. So, um, instead, what I think it is, is you find little things and then you keep working on them, you keep improving them. So that's the kind of day in, day out look for all those little things to make a massive difference so the book is, is structured in four areas um you know improving teaching and learning raising outcomes improving behavior and improving attendance and what they are are just all the little suggestions that i make have you thought about that you know have you tried this i've seen this work in another school and the idea is that if behaviour is an issue in your school, so I'm working for secondary school um, in Yorkshire and they want to improve behaviour. So um, the head teacher took the book with their SLT and went through it and, and highlighted three or four actions that they thought they could use in their school over the next half term. And it's great. You know, you've got your three or four things. You don't need to do all of them. Yeah. Don't try and yeah. do 25. Yeah. Do three or four. And let's see. And when I come and visit in two weeks time, let's see whether they're making a difference and talk to me about how teachers are feeling about them, how your pupils are feeling about them, how your senior leaders are feeling about them. And that, that idea of aggregation and marginal gains, doing lots of little things will make the big difference. Yeah. So what I've not said is you need a new behavior strategy. Yeah. Yeah. So to use your current one but you know there's a phrase called tweak to transform which i love so tweak it and it will transform yeah yeah it's the power of accumulation isn't it as you say it's there's a the book i've read um you know in the personal development world called the slight edge 
which I, I know you're familiar with. So it's that, it's that accumulation of just those small things and forming those those habits that you, you you describe it as transforming, tweak to transform. But it's just those small things that you do that gain momentum and then absolutely take off and, and you know, lead through uh, progress. That's brilliant. And I, I've gained from it ever so much in the work that I'm doing. So I, I part of my role is also when I'm, certainly when I'm working with heads and supporting senior leaders, is to share some of the nuggets from your some of your silver bullets from your book, which is great. So, um, I would encourage any listeners, certainly um, leaders that are listening to us today, to have a look for Paul Ainsworth's No Silver Bullets because it's a real treat. Paul, in the spirit of Every Teacher Matters Network and what we stand for, could you provide the listeners with um, some advice? around well-being because I'm determined through the work that I do to break the stigma around mental health um, and teaching is a tough profession as we've both alluded to today in our conversation so what well-being advice would you give to teachers school leaders um, you know to be able to sustain the challenges so I, th I think um, kind of one thing is having somebody to talk to I think that's really important so I think that I think you know head teachers you need a coach, whether it's from your mat, whether it's from outside, but somebody that you can talk to about, you know, what's going on and how is it and have a, a you know, we talk about supervision, don't we, in the kind of pastoral world. Mm -hmm. Well, I feel that head teachers need either a coach or supervision. I think then, you know, school leaders need to try and make sure that they've got somebody to talk to as well so head teachers got somebody who does a school leader talk to do they buddy up with each other and peer coach each other you know is it is the head teacher the right person to have that conversation with it all depends on your relationship doesn't it yeah. and the same as when we're in the classroom teaching can be a really lonely job even though you're surrounded by people you can be feel you know at your most lonely so you, you need to have somebody that you can talk to you know about how it's going and, and try try not to bottle it up you know but just you know whoever it is whether it's you kind of the person that you trained with on your pgc and you go to the pub with hopefully from today um you know you go and have a pint with and you just talk about what it's like and you can offload in that way it might be a professional coach you kind of might pay you know pay for a life coach or something but just have somebody you can talk to yeah um that's not necessarily always your partner at home so that you can talk about other things at home. Yeah. So, so I think that's really important that you, you kind of, you know, have, have somebody you can talk to. I love, you know, some of the ideas from like Dr. Pookie, you know, around reminding yourself of the good things every day, you know, whether it's your gratitude journal, whether it's writing your three good things down, yeah. you know, or even taking a photograph of something that's kind of made you smile that day. I had a habit in the winter of trying to photograph whenever there was a really good sunrise. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. just however yeah. the day's gone, you look back at the sunrise and think, what a beautiful start to Absolutely. the day. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I just, definitely agree. There's, there's kind of, I think as well, we have to try and put some barriers up between our work life and our personal life. And I think this is, you know, really important with kind of social media and, and all that kind of stuff. One of my big pieces of advice I give to everybody is don't have your work emails on your mobile phone. Yeah. Snap. I say exactly the same point. It's golden advice. Golden. You know, and, and try and work out wh where your barriers are. 
you know when you know when do you want to engage in the work world and when don't you you don't have to engage in the work world at nine o'clock in the evening when you're about to sit down and watch line of duty you know that's your time or whether it's watching your children play football or listening when they've got you know their their piano lesson or whatever you need to block off you need to kind of compartmentalize between the school life and because it will take a teaching is one of those things and we both know it expands to fill the time you give it so sometimes you have to make that tough decision and say no I'm I'm not going to do any more I've done as much as I can and I think that I think one of the things that's really exciting post-COVID is is looking at how, you know, one of the things that takes up more of our time than anything is giving feedback to children. And we're all, you know, used to writing loads in exercise books and then thinking how much impact does that have? So I think, you know, that I think that's a real issue for schools as to how can we, you know, give children good feedback without teachers spending three hours a night writing in 90 exercise books in a primary school with you, you know, writing in your reading, writing in maths books, or however many you might have. We need to really address that. Now, I'm not saying we, I'm not saying no marking. Some people think that, and I'm not giving a view on that. I think we have to find a way of how, how to make it manageable. And at the end of the day, it's about how the children are progressing, not what the teachers want to very true very true thank you paul i i've taken that a note of that phrase you know because it's a very very valid point teaching does expand to fill the time you give it um so boundaries are, are essential some really fabulous advice for our listeners paul thank you so much for coming on and joining this candid conversation today we are really grateful i know the listeners will have taken away lots of nuggets from from our conversation and and your shares if the listeners would like to follow you how can they do so what's your i mean i follow you on twitter and i i am um, I, I you always make me smile so if you want to share some smiles out there what's your twitter handle yeah so, so my twitter handle is at p k ainsworth so p k a i n s w o r t h or if you search paul ainsworth i think i come up as well that that's what i do more than anything i'm not kind of in the instagram world or the pinterest world or those kind of things or even facebook so yeah twitter's the best way of engaging with me um and i'm, I'm i suppose that you know i'm on there a reasonable amount i'm not on it as much as some people but yeah i kind of use twitter a lot and i think it's, it's a really good vehicle for teachers to engage with other educationists and I'm, I'm always happy if people message me and oh could you give me a, a comment on this and i'll you know i'll always give a reply so yeah twitter at pk ainsworth best way of finding me brilliant thank you paul thanks very much i've really enjoyed our conversation today and for any listeners if um, anything that we've said today has struck a chord with you or if you'd like to know more about the work that we do in promoting teacher well-being you can find us at www.everyteachermattersproject.com Thank you for listening. I do hope you enjoyed listening to today's Every Teacher Matters conversation. It is our mission to be the voice of our amazing school staff. You can find out more by visiting everyteachermattersproject.com or contacting me directly at contact at Thanks for listening.